appreciate John Joyner, who's given so much to this university, did not come back this season to be sitting here at two and five. But, you know, like I've told these seniors, this is your team. And, and, uh, um, whatever you want to be done, you need to communicate that. And it's on you guys as leaders. And uh, now what are you going to do with it? And I've seen great signs of that with those guys communicating with one another, um, you know, throughout the week at practice uh, with their work ethic, things like that as well. So like I've told you guys all along, we, we got great young men in this program. And if I felt it'd be one thing if I woke up on Sunday mornings or you really don't wake up because you're already asleep on Saturday night after a loss. But when I get out of bed and come into the facility, if I came in here like, oh, God, like I got to go do with these guys again today. That's not the way I feel. Like even after a brutal loss on Saturday, gut-wrenching loss of Saturday before, I come in here on Sunday and I can't wait to, for the players to come into the building at 3 o'clock on Sundays and be around them. And that- All right. This is the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. That was Shane Beamer trying to keep the vibes good when the vibes are not necessarily good right now. Um, So South Carolina is sitting at two and five. They have a tough road matchup, probably second uh, third toughest road matchup of the season. I don't know. They've had a lot of tough road matchups, which is why they're two and five. Um, <laughs> and uh, got to go to Kyle Field. They do catch a break with it being 11 a.m. local time, 12 Eastern. So maybe the crowd doesn't play quite as much of a factor. Um, we'll kind of break down that game throughout the podcast today. And some other no- news about why the the vibes aren't necessarily good, including a freshman defensive lineman who apparently is no longer with the program, uh, which we learned about yesterday. And maybe there's the slightest rumbling that Dylan Stewart is like at least looking around. I, I wouldn't say that I would project him to go anywhere else or anything like that yet, but you, I mean, you can't blame him considering his offer list and considering how the season's gone thus far to at least make sure. And and I guess that's that's all I'll put there. <sighs> Let's start with the 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 news yesterday that came out that freshman defensive lineman Xavier McLeod um, is no longer with the program. And then we can get into some of the Texas A and M week stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think. So, like, I, we put some stuff on the forum about it yesterday. We, we we put the article out whenever it came out, and we got it confirmed. And the response was kind of like, "That's vague." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, I we're reporters. We're going with the facts here." Um, and that's the way that we always try to handle these sorts of things uh, when there's a lot of different conflicting information out there. Um, I'm sure some of you saw on Twitter yesterday that his uh, McLeod's parents both kind of defended him and um, as you would expect from someone's parents and uh, tried to explain basically, I guess, that he didn't like his playing time situation and he was about to burn his red shirt if he played a fifth game and that played into his decision i will say asking around talking to other people and stuff uh the university probably has their own story on it um which you know if they want to officially share they can officially share at a later time and we will report on that as well um 
when we look at the facts of the situation, he had played four games. Uh, that's how many games you get um, as a freshman before you burn that red shirt. And we had just talked about this before. He had only played about 30 snaps. So maybe a little frustration and burning the red shirt. But for what, you know, sort of. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's really necessarily our job to try to speculate on what happened or why. But we can talk about the fallout. Um, and the truth of the matter is it's a in-state four-star defensive lineman that, you know, kind of was all in on South Carolina throughout the process. Um, had some other options, obviously, and chose South Carolina over them. And we just talked last week about how crucial it's going to be to kind of hold this team together, hold this 2024 incoming recruiting class together uh, if you want to view this 2023 season as just a, a speed bump along the way versus the beginning of the end or whatever. I don't think that this means that this is the beginning of the end, but it's certainly not a good sign. Um, so what was your take, I guess, as you were digesting what we're able to talk about uh, surrounding the Xavier McLeod situation yesterday? Yeah, I think the 30 snaps in four games is kind of the number that jumps out to me. I mean, this is a team that, I mean, Shane Meemore has talked about. His messaging has been pretty consistent since August that we're going to play a lot of freshmen. We're going to play a lot of freshmen everywhere. Um, Nick Harbour, Tyshawn Russell, J Jalen Kilgore, Judge Collier, um, all these guys, uh, all these guys are playing a lot. Tree Babalade, Trovan Ba, and that's McLeod. In theory, if you want to go by, you know, recruiting ratings and stars, was rated higher than pretty much all those guys except um, Nick Harbour. Does that mean anything? No. Is the defensive tackle room deeper and more full of veterans than those other positions? Yes. You've got Tonka and Boogie and Nick Barrett there, TJ Sanders. I, I get it. I also, I think there's a fair question to be asked about what the plan was for Xavier McLeod going into this season um, and how much that maybe is sustainable going forward, not just for him, obviously he's not in the program anymore, but how much that can work going forward with true freshmen, how you play them, how you deploy them. Because we heard yesterday from Dowell Loggins and his presser, and obviously McLeod's the opposite side of the ball from what he coaches, but that they got to make some decisions on these guys that, hey, if you're a freshman and we're going to play you, we're going to play you. We need you out there a lot, or we just need to not play you at all and save the year. It's kind of what Loggins said yesterday. Um, and at the time, you don't think anything of that quote, and then an hour later, you, you put the McLeod pieces together and you kind of wonder what he's thinking about there, what he might be referencing. Um, and then maybe this is more of just a big picture. you got to look at how you're handling your roster, especially your freshmen going forward. Um, and just trying to maximize what you can out of those guys in a transfer portal era where guys can dip after pretty much whenever they want. Yeah. And we never are going to be critical of a 18 or 19 year old or whatever, like kids are kids. I'm an adult. It's not really my position to be critical of a kid. Um, you guys can think whatever you want to think about them, I guess. I do think some, there's some important things to keep in mind here. And again, I'm going to continue to be vague purposefully. So sorry, but um, recruiting is hard. Like when you're recruiting, you make some promises. Sometimes those promises have to do with playing time or, or whatever. Um, maybe that played some sort of factor. Here. And, and I, I think we talked about last week, like it's been good to see 
Nick Harbour get in the mix because he's your five-star and you want to keep him happy and coming back next year and, and wanting to grow and develop and all of that. So on one hand, how much of getting Xavier McLeod involved despite a deep defensive line group is trying to be like, hey, like you're valuable, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then, yeah, there's all, there's that balance that you speak about of, all right, you have a really deep, deep defensive line group. Um, wouldn't it be nice to have someone with an extra year, uh, if especially someone that talented? I don't know what the right answer is. I don't think that we have enough details to say that there was a right or wrong decision made there. Um, I don't think it's quite that simple. The only side that we've really heard from on social media is the kids' parents' side, who obviously are going to have their own take that might be a little biased or whatever. And I don't expect us to hear much more from the university side um, beyond Beamer last week saying it was a coach's decision that he didn't go. Um, and then we were, we got a couple of like unnamed confirmation yesterday that he was no longer with the program. Um, I think in general, it comes at a bad time, uh, with, yeah. uh, everyone kind of already at a low point, already kind of worrying about the way that the transfer portal went last year, worrying about what that might look like into an off season. If you don't make a bowl or even if you only finish six and six or whatever, you'd like to think and hope, uh, that this is a outlier. Um, but I hope a couple months from now, we're not looking back as this just being the first domino, I guess. Yeah. I think that's probably about a good way to sum it up that, you know players are going to leave. You know there's going to be roster turnover. That's just the way college football works in 2023. But what you lose and then in turn what you lose and how that impacts what you can bring in just in terms of your program, your messaging, your culture, what you can convince a kid in the portal come from somewhere else to want to come to South Carolina. I think that's kind of the main thing to maybe keep an eye on going forward. As we talked about it last week on the Post-Missouri show, that what's left of this season is very little. I mean, they can still make a bowl game. Um, but even Shane said that a lot of their goals from before the year just aren't left on the table anymore, um, which is a reality when you lose five of your first seven. And then it becomes about big picture, holding things together. Um, geez, just, I think I felt this at Missouri last week too, just kind of looking, I think I used the line in one of my stories that you could know what the score was without looking at the scoreboard, just kind of the way that sideline was. Um, the find some joy, good vibes, filming videos they're just gone right now everything just kind of feels out of it and the only way to fix that is by winning i do understand that that winning solves everything but it just feels like a very different proposition what we're talking about even at like one and two two and three in september it didn't kind of feel the way it feels right now no yeah i think pretty much inarguably the low point of the beamer era thus far and now you have to travel to a place that you've never won against a team you've only beaten once since they joined the sec uh, another trophy game, back-to-back trophy game. Trophy, yeah. Um, and their strength, their defensive front, uh, plays perfectly into your greatest weakness. Um, I believe Spencer was talking about, and you just brought up the attitudes thing. He's talking about how, uh, I mean, Beamer, sorry, was talking about how Spencer Rattler, Rattler's attitude has been uh, really good despite all the challenges this year, um, which I believe. I mean, he's still playing his way into – uh, an NFL opportunity, I think, uh, with the way that he's played this year. And actually, the broadcast brought this up last week, but 
it's not good for the team, South Carolina, for him to be uh, getting beat up and having to run around for his life all the time. But it is actually not necessarily a bad thing for his uh, draft stock because it's putting some things on tape uh, for those scouts to see how he handles pressure. And for the most part, he's he's handled it pretty well. Um, but yeah, <laughs> how do we project, I guess, Texas A&M's very talented defensive front, which pretty much everyone talked about. Uh, in the press conferences this week, and South Carolina's uh, triage unit at offensive line. All right, let's. I think I think it's important just to get the numbers out first. So we just understand what you're dealing with here. Maybe if you haven't watched Texas A&M, you haven't looked around the league, you focus on South Carolina. A&M is tied for first in the country in both sacks and tackles for loss. They're tied in sacks with Penn State. They're tied with Oklahoma for tackles for loss. This is. I mean, Dowell Logan said yesterday, this is the best defensive front we're going to face all year. That obviously includes Georgia. That includes Tennessee. That includes North Carolina, who sacked Spencer, I think, nine times. So that's kind of what you're up against here. And I think, obviously, you're going to do what you're going to do. You're not going to throw your whole playbook out in week nine. I think you almost have to go into this just with the idea that, like, Spencer's not going to have more than two or three seconds to throw on any given drop back, especially in an obvious passing situation and you got to work around that um especially if and we're going to know more from Shane tonight on Carolina calls because he said that all three of the offensive linemen who were hurt or questionable as of Tuesday that's for Sean Lee, Tree Babalade, and Trevon Baugh you almost got to just go into it with the idea that screens quick hitters outside runs just the I don't want to say the drop back passing game is not an option this week but do you think that's even an option this week sitting where you are Let's actually go back to that offensive line injury point for a second, and then I'll answer that question. Um, let's take the worst case scenario, which is that those three guys aren't there and Case and Henry isn't ready to go. Oh, yeah, he's questionable too. I forgot to mention that. What does the offensive line even look like? Can you fill out those names for me? Is that okay. Jackson, Hughes, and... Well, he's questionable too. He hasn't played the last two weeks. So, so yeah, what's our worst case scenario, I guess, of breaking down what the offensive line could so you're just You're just assuming everybody who's questionable is out Saturday. Ask me sure. to that. Okay, just do it that way. Yeah. Um, well, you keep Trey Jones at left guard and Nick Gargiulo at center because those are the two that are healthy. So you can keep those two spots. And then you're probably looking at Fugar at left tackle, Wanamaker at right tackle, and then you're still down a guard there. Um, yeah, I mean, you're having to pull from like a walk-on or former walk-on. Racing or Mains has been the backup center. Yeah. We've known that. Like, is, is yeah. he your starting right guard if all these guys can't? And again, if one of those other guys can go, then you don't have to do that. But like, yeah. And I, I do think probably most likely you at least get one or two of those guys back. But um, that is just painting the picture of, of the depth and how thin it's gotten. Um, so do they have a passing game? Or Ja'Kai Moore could play guard too, but do they have a passing game? Um, sure. I think on first and second down, they'll be fine if they mix it in and can keep, uh, Texas A&M off balance and non-obvious passing situations. But every time you get in third and long, I'm going to start penciling in sacks just like I did last weekend. And I have a feeling I'm going to be right more often than not when I do that. Um, you're going to have to work in the screen game. You're going to have to work in draws. It's going to be tough. Uh, you really have to win first and second down more often than not in this game to even have a chance, I think. 
Yeah, and I think that's the other thing too is we talked about, um, and I wrote about this a little bit in my behind the box score. If you look back to the website for Monday at that, that they didn't get the running game going at all. They didn't even really try to get the running game going, especially in scoring opportunities. Last week was the first time all year that they never ran the ball in the red zone or even tried to on their red zone snaps. You have to at least give it a go this week. You have to – I'm not saying that A&M it, – obviously it's a D-line that can, that's really good across the board, can roll a lot of guys, can kind of stop whatever opponents are doing. But I think you got to at least go with the understanding that second and seven's a win in this game even second and eight to win in this game, you wouldn't say that on a normal week, but given the front you're facing and what you're dealing with on your offensive line, that just getting it to a point where you might be able to squeak out some first downs on third and medium is kind of, I think, how you have to look at this. Because I think you're right. If you get, um, I can't remember the stat now, Beamer came in on Tuesday talking about how AM either leads the country or they're near the top and average third down distance for opponents, just how well they do at first and second down. Um if you're in third and nine, third and ten against this team, you're you're just you're punting. You might as well send Kai out there on third down. I think that's kind of kind of where you are right now. Yeah, and you might have a little bit. You're probably going to be five or six yards ahead uh, if you send him out there on third down. Um, the now I agree with you that there needs to be an emphasis on the run game. I do think that there's a balance there somewhere between emphasizing the run game and not becoming too predictable on first down and just giving up that is like, right. a, Oh, we're going to get two yards and that's, that's it sort of thing. But um, I think more than anything, I mean, South Carolina is a 14 point underdog. They are on the road. They have injuries at most of their key positions, including do we, have we heard anything about Xavier Leggett? Like you want to just give us the full injury report real quick. And I mean, the can... full injury report was I'm going back to Tuesday right now. There wasn't a lot from Beamer. Um, and there should be more coming in about five and a half hours here. Um, I'm pulling up this quote right now. Um, this is great radio here. Um, let's see. Um, this was, oh God, I can't even find it. Um, okay. Yeah, here we go. Juice won't play. And Marion Brown is doubtful. And literally every other person you would ask me about is questionable is what Beamer said on Tuesday. <laughs> So that's Xavier Leggett. Um, that's the, the four offensive linemen we just mentioned. Um, Trey Knox, who also plays into that pass uh, blocking team. Yeah. I'm assuming Trey Knox is fine because he we had him media Tuesday. They don't usually bring players out if they're not healthy. Uh, Mario Anderson the week before was questionable, and he talked to us, and he made and he played obviously. Um, so I guess that's your one, and then I, I think the the wild card here is Casein Henry. Because he hasn't played since literally the first drive of the season. We know we practiced for the first time since then. Last week going into Missouri, wasn't ready to make the trip. If Casey Henry can travel, that helps. Can you trust a right tackle who's played three snaps this season against AM's defensive front? Like you're kind of back to where you started there. And who, yeah, has just been rehabbing a leg. So how quick is his first move? All those sorts of things. Yeah. Is he even a game you want to throw him back into? Right. Um, so I, I guess back to my point, you're a 14 point underdog, you're on the road, you are, you have injuries across the board. No, I don't think anyone in their right minds projecting South Carolina to win this game. Um, and add us to that list. Now let's try to play devil's advocate, um, and talk about what the path to winning this game would look like. And I think number one, you have to find a way to start quick. 
Um, you cannot fall down 24 to three in the first half like you did last week and then hope to somehow battle back uh, where you're having to throw the ball that much in the second half against uh, this defense and this defensive front. Um, what are some other, I guess, keys if South Carolina is going to somehow go in there and shock the world and their own fan base and everyone else? Um, I think we haven't talked at all about AM's offense against South Carolina's defense. We spent so much time focusing on that AM front. Um, obviously, you got to find a way to control Anaya Smith. Pete Lumbo had a pretty funny press conference talking about him as a video game character yesterday, but that's a very dangerous player, obviously. And South Carolina fans know about that for the part returned two years ago in this game. Um, I think it starts there defensively. Just and we have seen in Clayton White's uh credit controlling the other team's best player has been something he's kind of done well this year. We talked about that, whether that's Luther Burden or uh, ETN two weeks ago in Florida. Um, I think I think there's an element of that, and then there's the element of this defense. We heard from a lot of players that there was anger, there was frustration, there was enough was enough in the locker room last week. And you played a better second half of Missouri, held with 10 points, and that last touch, touchdown was Thunder two minutes ago. Can you play 60 minutes of defense? And I'm not talking about shutting out an opponent, holding them under 100, nothing like that, but like, can you hold AM in the 20s? Can you do what you did that second half last week for a full game? And maybe AM scores 24 and you play a clean game offensively on special teams, don't give them any short fields. And maybe, just maybe, you can force some turnovers. That's another thing. You got to force some turnovers this game. I think we would all agree they haven't forced any the last two weeks. You need at least two, probably two short fields in this game. Maybe you get like 10 points off those. Um, hold them to the 20s get 10 or 14 points with short fields and maybe you can squeak out like a 27, 24 type deal is your path here. I think. Yeah. So when we look at their losses, they lost to Miami 48 to 33. That feels like a bit of an outlier. Uh, Texas A&M nor their opponent have scored that much the rest of the season. Actually, I guess A&M scored 34 against Arkansas, but, and, but other than that, um, they lost to Alabama by six. Makes sense. It's Alabama. Um, and then they lost to Tennessee 20 to 13 last week. Um, I think that that 20 to 13 score is probably the, the blueprint. <laughs> um, you got to somehow make this game ugly. Like you said, a couple of turnovers. I don't think that AM's offense is this like juggernaut, super scary uh, offense, but I think that they're consistently good enough. Similar in a way, I guess, to the way the Missouri was last last week, uh, that they will outlast you uh, if you can't get some quick change opportunities in there. That's kind of, I think, a, a way to look at it, too, is obviously they're, they're the healthier football team. They're the team that's playing at home. Um, they do have a physical unit up front that can kind of wear opponents down. Um, and there is a certain element of it, too. Where I think this does kind of, I'm not trying to take credit away, what you saw in that second half last week of Missouri just kind of, understanding South Carolina couldn't move the ball, powering down on offense, trying not to make a mistake, don't give up short fields. If you can't show enough offensive acumen in this game in the first quarter and a half, two quarters, to worry or threaten AM, then yeah, they're going to lean on you and run the ball and probably try to get out of here quickly with a two-score win. Yeah, no, it feels definitely like the – game plan to make this interesting is the same as it was at Georgia. Um, and in fact, they called 
the defensive front, uh, who who was at Loggins, called the defensive yeah. front of Texas A&M even stronger or scarier, I guess, than Georgia's. Um, yeah, if you can't if you can't get up early, I don't really see a path to to victory here. I'd love to be wrong, but I just that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah, is there and... anything else to say about the game? Really, I, like I feel like th- those are the the main keys. Is just they have a good defensive line. You have a hurt offensive line. You need a um some some sort of uh, change up to to break that uh, mismatch up, and I don't know where it comes from. Is there anything they could? Do? I guess I'll just end here. Is there anything they could do in this game in a loss that would make you feel better or at least not worse than you did coming into the game? Like, if they leave AM 2 and 6, or anything they could do that you'd still feel okay about? I mean, I guess limit sacks. Okay. If Texas AM somehow gets less than five sacks uh, and you lose by less than two scores, you know, cover the spread, um, you probably feel all right going into the home homestand uh and like you said also the injuries if you can get out of there without any additional injuries go home and uh, have a little bit of an easier schedule for the next three weeks and uh see see where things fall from there but i don't know you really need a win it's just hard to uh to predict that but when you when you think about the prospect of winning four straight even though they are at home and even though it is an easier part of your schedule to get to a bowl, it'd be really nice to have one in your pocket for sure. Yeah, I think if, I guess that you want to end on a positive before we go to some other stuff. If you somehow went to College Station and beat AM there for the first time ever and followed up this week and this response with a with a win, and you come home with Vanderbilt or I guess Jack State and Vanderbilt looming with a chance to get to five and five, like yeah, you could feel a lot differently Sunday. The the vibes are immediately better for yeah. sure. Um, so we will be back on Sunday or Monday to talk about this game, but uh, that we're not done yet. Don't don't run away. Uh, let's talk a little bit about basketball. So the men's and women's uh, 2023-24 basketball seasons have officially sort of kicked off. They've each had an exhibition. They uh, had a, a like kickoff event on last night, the men's team did. Um, and their first games are next week. So what can we kind of expect, I guess? Uh, let's start with the men's team. Um, SEC media days, we talked last week, they were picked 14th out of 14 uh, in the league. I think that's a little underrated, whatever. Um, you're getting quite a few of your contributors back from last season including Michi Johnson, Jacoby Wright, Zachary Davis, Benjamin Bozeman's for Donk, and Josh Gray. And you also get Abrima Deba back, who was expected to be a big contributor last year, but got hurt in the offseason. Um, and then you got some newcomers. Again, I think worked the portal pretty well. Uh, you have BJ Mack out of Wofford, who's probably your biggest uh, addition this offseason. Uh, Stephen Clark out of the Citadel, who won't play quite the same role as uh, Hayden Brown Hayden did. Brown, yeah. um, he's not quite as, uh, I guess, scrappy defensively, but has a really nice shot um, and does have some size that, that he can kind of use. Uh, Talon Cooper out of Minnesota. Morris Ugasuk. Ugasuk? 
How do you say that? Did you, did you guys get it last night? I think that one's correct. Ugasuk. Um, out of Finland, uh, Arden Conyers and Colin Murray Boyles, who were both uh, freshmen that we hope will contribute, although Colin Murray Boyles did not play last night. Was that he right? He was sick. because with Lamont Paris. He's been ill this week. He hasn't been to practice the last two days. It doesn't sound like anything long-term, but yeah, he was the one absence from the Garden and Black Madness last night. Okay. And we talked a little bit last week very briefly about this, but obviously you don't have the top in talent of like a Gigi Jackson on this team, but overall it feels like a more balanced team, a deeper team than last year. Is that your feel right now? Yeah, I think it's a deeper team. I think my main, again, I watched 20 minutes of scrimmage with a running clock and basically no contact defense last night, trying to keep guys healthy. So I'm not going to act like I know everything about this team after last night, but I think my main takeaway is the team has more of an identity whether that's good or bad, you got to get into games, but they're going to shoot the three. They're going to run a lot. Miles Studi can shoot. Talon Cooper can shoot. You know about Michi Johnson. Um, Stephen Clark can shoot. I think even Arden Conyers hit two threes last night. Um, they're both wide open, but he can them both. Like this team wants to shoot the three. They are going to do it a lot. Um, they've got some good passers. I know Talon Cooper was top ten in the country in assists last year at Minnesota on a not very good team. Michi Johnson can pass. Deba's a ball handler. I'm very I think I think you're positive if you're South Carolina right now if you're a fan is this team should be fun to watch entertaining they're going to shoot they're going to get up and down the court I think your worry is you still don't really have a defensive identity maybe you don't really know what you do well on that side and I think you're going to have some problems stopping teams but that's kind of my read on it after just going through a preseason camp and watching a little bit of them actually playing last night yeah to me you're seeing a lot of uh I guess commonality between some of these uh, people that Paris has targeted in the the portal the past two seasons. And it does feel like he's really built a team around his sort of player, which is that positionless basketball uh, guys that have length, um, but it can also shoot it. And um, I do think offensively, we're going to see some of that start to pay off. I think it's encouraging that last night, of course it's a scrimmage against yourself or whatever, but um, last night, Transfer to Lon Cooper, 16 points, was the second leading last night. And then Benjamin Bozeman's Verdonk, who I feel like we thought kind of came along throughout the season last season, can be part of that defensive uh, strategy that, that you're saying, you know, maybe isn't necessarily there. But he seemed like throughout the season, he finally figured out how to like use his body on the interior. And it sounds like he had a pretty good night last night in the scrimmage as well. 12 points, uh, six of nine from the floor. So... Yeah, it, it does seem like there's at least more potential offensively. And then the question is going to be defense, although I think that's the easier thing to solve, especially in college basketball, because a, a lot of that is effort and just putting people in the right spot. Yeah, and I think, too, that's going to be a, a November, December thing. you got to figure that out. This non-conference schedule is light by design. Um, you're only playing three power five opponents and all the non-con, and one of those clubs that you play every year. Another one's Notre Dame with a new coach. Um, you're going to have games to figure this out. You're going to have opponents who are less talented than you to figure this out. Try to get a system down. Try to get I think communications. The biggest thing is anything when you have this many new players who are going to be sharing the court. Um, I think – I don't think this is the worst team in the SEC. I can understand why people might have picked that just based on them finishing 12th last year and losing your NBA player. Um I think the problem this team's going to run into and that fans might be frustrated with is the rest of the SEC is the deepest I can ever remember it being. There's probably like 
eight or nine legit tournament teams in this league this year. And you're going to have a lot of nights where you're just running up against a much better team in the league. Um, you're going to have to see if you can maybe shoot your way out of problems. Yeah, and I also think you did get uh, a little bit of a rough beginning of the SEC schedule, similar yes. to the football team. Um, but when you look in just the month of January, you have a road trip at number 24, Alabama. You have a road trip at number 14, Arkansas. You have a home matchup against number 16, Kentucky, and a road trip at number 9, Tennessee, all within the span of uh, 30 days in January. So actually all within the span of 21 days in January. So that's really uh, going to be very tough. But I think if you start off, figure out some things in non-con in that with a pretty good record, um, kind of just go into that stretch knowing that you'll be happy to win one or two of those. Uh, it gets a lot easier on the back end and you can kind of stack some wins that way if you haven't been broken by that stretch. I think the main thing I'm excited for, and Lamont Paris was like usually a pretty stoic guy, but like actually smiling, talking about joy last night is Diva. He tore his Achilles where he got to play last year. He missed an entire year. He dunked last night. It's a scrimmage, but he has enough mobility in his leg and his Achilles to dunk right now. He played last night. He played 13 minutes last night out of the 20. Um, I don't know what he's going to be able to bring in a game because you haven't seen him play at South Carolina yet, but it's a ball handler with size. He's a pretty good shooter. Um, I think just having that body there alone is going to help this team both physically on the court and also there's a mental boost getting a guy like that back too. Yeah, personally, I was he was the person that I was most excited about in the transfer portal last season uh, that we didn't get to. And obviously, we didn't get to see how that, that worked out. But he feels like someone that very much fits into – the role that Paris has said he's looking for lengthy can shoot it at multiple angles. Yeah. Um, and like you said, he's a distributor of the ball as well. So really excited to see how all of that plays out. Uh, obviously we will have full coverage. What is it next week when the first game is They play an exhibition against Wofford, uh, like a charity thing for Maui next Wednesday. And then the openers Monday, the sixth. Also, did you see the video? I mean, I took it. Some other people did too of Zach Davis's winning dunk in the dunk contest last night. I missed it. What did he do? Michi, they did an alley-oop. Michi Johnson went about halfway up the stands and threw an alley-oop from about 10 rows up, and Zach Davis dunked it off the bounce. Well, yeah, maybe we'll see some of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, obviously, on the women's side, um, expectations are high, as they are every year. Um, I believe they did not get picked to win the SEC this year, though. Uh, second, yeah, behind the defending national champs, LSU. Which, you know, fair. Um, they added, as we talked about a little bit last week, they added Malaysia Full Wiley, uh, who was a very highly uh, rated freshman or, you know, recruit and now a freshman. And she brings an element that's a little bit different than pretty much anyone on the, on the team had last year. Uh, she is very good at shooting the three. Um, you know, maybe you, you've gotten your own sort of Caitlin Clark, I guess, uh, to, uh, to, I mean, obviously you can't crown her quite to that level yet, but that's what you hope that she can develop into. Um, another schedule that starts off pretty tough. So you got a road mat. Well, technically you're the home team, but it's a road matchup, uh, in Paris, uh, next Monday or yeah, next Monday, Monday. the sixth, yeah. Mondays. um, the sixth against Notre Dame. And then right after that, you have another ranked matchup at home against Maryland on the 12th before you get into Clemson and some more, uh, I guess, easier games for the next few weeks. 
how are you feeling about this squad thus far? I know, did you go to the media day that they had last week or? I was not at the exhibition they played against Rutgers. Yeah. I was at the first practice media right. they did a couple weeks ago. Um, I think the main thing I would just say for people who are looking at this team, this is going to take a little bit of time, but this team is still really, really, really talented. It's going to be weird looking out there. You're replacing all five starters. They're going to have to figure out, A, who their best lineup is, kind of how they want to play things, how they want to rotate players. Um, yeah, I think – and the non-con is challenging on purpose for that reason. I mean, you mentioned Notre Dame in Maryland, but they're also doing a tobacco road trip. They're going to UNC and Duke in the same week. Um, I think they have eight or nine tournament teams on the non-conference schedule from last year. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys now, this team's not going undefeated again. They are going to lose a game at some point in the regular season. It's just not realistic to do that two years in a row. That's going to happen, and no, the sky's not going to fall when it does. I just wanted to get that out there now. Um, this is still a top-five team in my estimation. This is still a Final Four contender in my estimation. I think you're going to see more balance offensively. You're going to see still the inside stuff with Cardoso back. Sakima Walker, the transfers are big. Um, I think Ashford Watkins took a step. And then you're still going to see more than outside shooting. You're talking about full Wiley. Tahina Pow Pow is a legitimate WNBA first-round prospect, and she's here to shoot the three. She did that well at Oregon. Um, I think it's going to be a more balanced offense, but it's going to take some time to figure out what they do well, kind of the same as the men's team, how they communicate defensively with so many new players. Um, and they're probably going to get bumped at least once in non-con. And when it happens, the sky's not going to fall, I promise. Yeah, to me, it's kind of – I think defense is easier to coach and shooting uh, ability, obviously something that you can develop, but you kind of have it or you're not, especially when you only have uh, – people for you know two to four years or whatever for their for their college uh career um i don't think that this team's going to be quite as dominant defensively but i think that that's something that can develop and also in the exhibition game that they played last week they held Rutgers to like 15 first half points yeah. or, or whatever so it's gonna be fine um and I do like the flexibility uh, that you're going to get and the, I guess, the fireworks that you're going to get offensively from uh, Pow Pow and uh, Full Wiley, among others. Um, I think it's kind of a fun place to be if you're a fan because yeah. the last couple of years you pretty much knew what to expect. Um, obviously, fell short of expectations last year, which is kind of crazy to say for a Final Four team, but that, that's just the, the, a fact. Um this year, I think you get to get back into that like scrappy underdog mindset a little bit more. Um, yeah. It would be a surprise if you won a national championship with this team, but it's also not impossible. Um, so it should be a fun season where you hope that you build throughout the season. Um, you're going to take on some more losses, like you said, but if you can get them peaking at the right time for the tournament, then sky's the limit. I think that's I think that's probably exactly about exactly where you're looking at it. You're maybe going to enter the tournament like. 26 and three instead of 29 and 0 like you did last year. But if you are better in February than you were in December, which I have no reason to think this team won't be, if you're, you're going to be, I think the way someone else put it to me was a good way to describe it. You're going to be the two seed. Nobody wants to be drawn with. You might be that two seed that all the ones want to avoid in the tournament next year. I know it's, it's October. We're not talking bracketology right now, but like you're going to be that kind of team. And if you're peaking at the right time, if you're playing better, if your freshmen get at that point, basically a full season under their belts, you feel good about this year and you feel good about kind of going into next year and beyond too. this machine's going to keep running. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's a good take. Um, for those of you that are very into the women's basketball team, uh, we will have on site 
coverage uh, in Paris of uh, the Notre Dame-South Carolina game on November 6th. We're going to move some things around. So we have uh, someone else covering the Jacksonville State football game. And Alan's gonna gonna make that trip. So really excited about that. Uh, big thank you to the Gamecock Athletic Department for helping us make that happen. And uh, we're 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 stoked to get the season started. Yeah. So for those of you that are done, I guess with, with football, with football, or at least uh, you know, foot out the door a little bit. Um, got some basketball. Got some potential. And some excitement, I think, for both uh, basketball teams this upcoming season. We didn't even talk about, I guess, full expectations for the men's team. But I think you're happy with an NIT bid. And I don't think that that's out of reach necessarily this year. Uh, I need to see a little bit of it first. But I think that's probably fair. I think the main thing with that is there's a requirement. I believe there's still you have to be over 500 on your overall record to be eligible for any kind of postseason. So if you're talking about, you probably got to bank 10 or 11 wins in non-con that to be on the table. Because yeah. if you're playing a 31-game schedule, you're going to have to win 16 of those just to even be allowed to go to an NIT. So, yeah, you're probably got to bank 10 or 11 non-con that to be on the table. But I'm not ruling it out. Yeah, and if you're if you're a South Carolina fan, I think around a 500 record, NIT bubble, obviously it's still a far cry from a Final Four run or whatever that you had uh just you know a decade ago but you feel like you're making steps in the right direction um you're still gonna have to find that elite recruit that's ready to come and come and sign with you um we did talk a little bit about uh that a couple episodes ago um you're not there yet in it by any stretch or whatever uh but i i think you would, would at least feel good about the trajectory of the program if you ended up around there yeah, I think that's probably a good way to cap it off. Um, and like I said, I think if nothing else, this team will be entertaining to watch. And there, I said to someone else yesterday, you thought about Kentucky last year, what they almost did to Alabama. They're going to catch someone just because they're going to get hot shooting one night. They're going to catch at least one ranked team and pull an upset because they'll make 12 or 13 threes in a game because that's just what this team wants to do every night. And one of those nights, the shots are going to fall. And and honestly, might be better equipped for it this year than they were last year i think um so yeah all right we will have some post-game coverage of texas a&m uh on the podcast on sunday or monday uh if you want to follow along with the live thread we'll have that going on saturday morning uh so we can all commiserate together over what's going on um we'll have some more preview I guess I didn't ask you, but what's your your final score prediction for the South Carolina Texas A&M game this weekend? Oh yeah, trip going on this weekend. Um, I am excited to see Kyle Field for the first time. I'm gonna say A&M thirty one, South Carolina thirteen. That would not be good. Uh, <laughs> like that would be. I don't think that you have a whole lot of good vibes coming out uh, of that one. Um, I'm going to go against the grain and say they cover. I okay. certainly don't pick them to win, but let's call it, man, you think South Carolina only puts together 13 points. Let's call it 27 to 17. Okay. I think you could feel if, if that's what actually happens and it's a 27-17 where you're in it in the fourth quarter and no one gets hurt, you could probably at least come home and feel better about yourself and then you try to get right against Jack State and Vandy and then hope you can 
squeak out Kentucky and then you turn Clemson into a Super Bowl with bowl eligibility on the line. Yeah, I mean that's gonna have to be it's gonna have to be the narrative probably. But um, all right, we'll have plenty more coverage on this on GamecockScoop.com. Uh, until next time, this has been the GamecockScoop.com podcast. We'll see you.